Greetings everybody. Today we're going to be talking about freedom from the fear of not having money. Freedom from the fear of what if I run out of money? How will I live? Now, I spoke on this last week and I'm going to continue to speak on this. We will have to recap a little bit on what I said last week. Um, and then I'm going to get into some scriptures in 2 Corinthians, Matthew 6, Colossians, Luke 11, Hebrews. It's just going to be awesome. Uh, and your heart, I trust that your heart will be set free from that fear. You know, we, there's nothing we can do in this world without money. Money in this world is basically your life. When I think of Zambia, <coughs> and people living in the deep Africa bush, I find that those people basically live from the trees in the field. Uh, but we don't live like that in our cities. We don't have that. Uh, over there, they've got nature that they live. They go and catch fish in the river, um, and then they plant something, and they live off that. And the only thing that can really destroy them there is a severe drought or something like that. And that still brings fear in their hearts. But with us, it's basically a month-to-month -month thing. It is something where you have to have money. And if something looks as if it can interfere with your money, it brings fear. Now, last week I've said that no amount of money can set you free from that fear. No amount of money can set you free from the fear of not having money. Uh, that is just a truth that is mentioned in the Bible. Jesus even said, let no man put his trust in money because it is like the grass and the flower of the grass. It flowers today and tomorrow is just gone. So we cannot have stability in that. No amount of money is stable. Like I've said, I think I said it last week, we look at the South Africa and the land claims and all those kind of things. Today you can have 10 farms and tomorrow they can say the government is taking it. All of a sudden everything that you're from your great, great, great grandfather they've worked for can be taken away in a day. Now I'm not saying that is happening in South Africa or that it will happen, but it's a possibility. Uh, there is a possibility for such things to happen. And we find that very rich people live in the fear of not having money. Having millions, fearing not having, having the fear. What, what am I going to have if these things don't work out? How am I going to keep what I have? So I want to say to you, if you don't have money, the fear that you have is the very same fear that all people have as pertaining to finances. And the only thing that can bring to freedom is an assurance of eternal life. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, <clears throat> I want to quickly go to a passage in 1 John and then to Hebrews, where we're going to look at what is the power of fear we have in the area of finances. What is actually bringing forth that fear? And it's more than a fear. It's a bondage. It is a bondage. You cannot be happy. When you go to the shop, you look at the price of things and all of a sudden, doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, the fact that costs is rising is telling you this is not going to be enough. You're not going to make it. You're not going to live. That is what that, that's what it's telling you at the end of the day. Now, um, I just want to ask you, Leonard, quickly, can you just take that off the screen there and just put the timer on for me? Thank you. Okay. Um, so, what we sit with is we look at the prices of stuff in the shops. We look at what that costs and we see that the cost is rising. And as the cost is rising, what it tells us is that certain things are becoming more, uh, 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 since it becomes more expensive, what I have is not going to be enough. That is what this whole thing is all about. It's about how will I live in the end of the day? I need to live. But that bondage that we have, is so strong that when you go to the to fill up your tank, I mean, in South Africa, we're having a one rand twenty three uh, a one rand twenty three increase per liter of fuel 
the end of this month. Bring it to 17, what's about, uh, I don't know, $1, 30, 40 per liter. Times that with Ford and you get to what it is per gallon in the United States. Some ridiculous price for fuel, European prices in a third world country. That is what we're finding. It is so expensive. And every time you see that, fear comes to your heart. You look at politicians. You look at the fear that there is. It is just a fear that destroys people. It's a bondage. Now let's look at what Hebrews says here, Hebrews 5 and verse 7, combined with Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Hebrews 5, 7 and Hebrews 2, 14. Hebrews 5, 7 says, let us go to Hebrews 2 first, Hebrews 2, 14. It says, <clears throat> For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that's flesh and blood, physicality, that through death he might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now let's read verse 15 again. I want you to pay attention. It says, And to deliver, it says, Jesus became physical, partook of a physical body that could die, that through death, through him entering that which you fear, that he might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what it says is that we are in bondage today or in bondage in your life because of an underlying fear of physical death. So there's a fear inside the heart of every living creature and that fear is the fear of death. We can look at any animal. They want to survive. They want to live. We today looked at a little bird that's got a nest in our palm tree that's just about this high off the ground. And we walk past there all the time. This little bird would come with an insect and want to feed the, the baby, babies in there. But that bird will first land over there and then, then land at another place and land at another place. And... Look at our eyes. If we take our eyes off that bird, she would quickly go to the nest because she wants to protect those little birds in the nest and she wants that little mama bird, if you want to call it like that, want to live and not die. Nature's like that and we in our physical bodies have that. We have something about us that say we want security in the physical, and that brings us some kind of a peace. If I know I can have a $2 million when I'm old, then I know by, if with that amount of money, I can live. And if you know that you can live when you're old, you can have life, you will have peace now. And you can tell that person everything you want. You can tell him, you're going to go to heaven. You can tell him, listen, don't worry about the things of this world. You know, all you know is that you, you, your spirit is holy and you're going to go to heaven and you will find that that person will know that he's going to go to heaven, but he will still have fear. Why? Because he's got no surety that his body has life. And what is screaming inside humanity is how are we going to live? How's our bodies going to live? And what we've done is... We have not assigned bodily immortality to the work of Christ, but we've only made it all spiritual, leaving our bodies at a place, and uh, consequently then, our mind, our belief system, our subconscious mind, and everything to a place of fear, where... We just want to provide for ourselves where we are tempted all the time to live by the power of our own will to provide for ourselves and we've got stress and fear. Why? Because we have not told the body how 
the body is going to live forever. We haven't told the body that. We've told the body, listen, you're just going to die, and you're not important actually, and you're just a dirtbag, and you are just part of a world that's going to uh, break up, and God's going to give you another body. He's not going to give you a body. He's going to give you another body. Uh, he's going to give you something that's going to, uh, uh, you are going to die. You, you're not going to have the assurance of eternal life. And that is a problem. The human body is not going to settle for that. Your mind is not going to settle for a message where your body is excluded from salvation from death. Here it says, listen to this passage. It says that Jesus... Um, Let's read from verse, verse 13. And again, this is now Hebrews 2.13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, and I, the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. So what are the children's partakers of? The children of God are partakers of flesh and blood. We are part of us. You cannot define yourself outside of your physical body. I won't tell you that. It is impossible for you to say that you are a spirit. You have to say, I'm a physical human and I, in my existence, partake of physicality. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who? Those who partake of flesh and blood, not from flesh and blood, but to deliver them through, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what did Jesus offer us in his resurrection? He offered those who partake of flesh and blood eternal life as pertaining to flesh and blood. Now, the bondage that we have, the bondage of fearing not having enough money is actually a fruit of not understanding that you have eternal life or immortality as a promise from God bodily. Even if you should experience physical death, you will, like Paul, actually call that just a sleep. Paul says those who slept in Christ, he doesn't, he doesn't even call them dead. He says they are sleepy because they still have eternal life and they shall be raised from the dead, not to go to heaven, but that resurrection would be the unification of heaven and bodily physicality for the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily and we have that fullness. I want to tell you, only that message can set you free from the fear of death and when you set free from the fear of bodily death because of the great assurance of bodily immortality, then you will find bondage, bondage of I'm stressed about what I drive. I'm stressed about how much money I have. I'm stressed about what if I lose everything. I'm stressed about all those things. Then that bondage will leave you. Because that bondage is there because of a fear of death. You can say, but I don't fear death. I don't fear death. Uh, I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Let me tell you something. The moment you say that, you are already acknowledging a certain fear of death. And I want to explain that. Um, Socrates in 399 before Christ came and he caused an uproar amongst the youth in, uh, in Europe somewhere there. I don't know exactly where the place is. But he caused an uproar in Athens amongst the youth. And what they did was they found him guilty and they said to him, listen, um, and they gave him the death penalty. And the death penalty back then was by poisoning. So what he did was, in all his teachings, he was basically teaching that he is a spirit and that he simply lives in a physical body. And what these Gnostics basically believed was that there were two gods. 
And they were basically at war with one another and the one was good and the other one was bad. And that the good God created the spirit of man and the bad God created the body of man and that this, these spirit and bodies came together and that the spirits were then taken captive by this evil physical body that is dying. And that the spirit actually needs deliverance from this body. And that is what I believe where we in the church has basically gotten this whole thing about spirit, soul and body from wherein we try to say we are born again spirits and we just have these bodies and one day when I die, glory to God, then I'm delivered from my body. Now, when you say that, you're exactly where Socrates was. And let me tell you this, and, and I don't want you to switch this off. Hear me, hear me out on this. Socrates, when he took the hemlock, when he drank the poison, he did it with a smile. He was not afraid. He didn't have a fear of death. He had no fear. He took it and told all his students that came to his cell where he could address them the last time. He said, why are you crying? I'm in a better place and I am now released from this captivity and this bondage of the body. And he with joy drank the poison and died in peace. Now that was 399 before Christ. When Jesus died, when he was in, the, in, in, in Gethsemane, what did he do? Did he say, oh well, I'm dying and I'm just going to be in a better place. I'm going to be with my father and all of that. No. Here is Jesus going to his very own disciples, asking them to pray for him and pray with him. When do you go to someone, when do you pick up the phone and say, would you pray with me? When you're afraid. When you're afraid. Now, the old, I mean, for many years, people are saying, listen, Gnosticism is better than what Jesus done, because look at the peace of Socrates, and look at the anxiety of Jesus. Now, to me, the difference between Socrates and Jesus is this. Jesus knew what death was, and Socrates had no clue. He lived in ignorance, and ignorance is bliss. Yet, I believe the physical body of Socrates didn't have the surety of eternal life, and there were certain bondages and certain, certain things that had to be in his life, which I am very sure of. In the very same way, when we come with a Gnostic view where we are saying, listen, we are okay, we're living forever. And this body is just going just gonna, to uh, uh, pass away and we're going to just be with Jesus. And that is eternal life. I want to tell you, you will, as I said last week, still be bound to crippling teachings and be in bondage of things where you think that through your physical body, you've got to follow certain principles to assure provision for this body. And your body would not allow you to see anything else unless you first give assurance to your body that this body has got the surety of eternal life and you want to come and tell it you are okay. Uh, it will not, that body will blind itself to what, to the truth. You will not want to hear that. If I come to you and you don't understand this resurrection, and I want to teach certain things about tithing or sowing or reaping or whatever to you, you will find it very difficult to believe because your body would say, how am I going to live? How am I going to live? But when we see the resurrection of Jesus, when we see the surety of us as humans wholly, completely having the resurrection, then we are set free from that bondage. And I read this passage the last time, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 5 and look at Jesus and how he grabbed a hold of this salvation. It says here in verse 13, And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death 
he might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So my conclusion to this part of the message is this, that all bondage comes from an underlying fear of bodily death and, un un and not being sure of a bodily resurrection and that as defined as salvation. That's what I see there. Now, let me show to you from the scriptures that Jesus, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, defines salvation as bodily resurrection. How does that have anything to do with money? Everything, because I've just said there, and you see the scriptures say there, that people all their lifetime in bondage, bondage of the fear you don't know. You know Jesus is your Lord. You know Jesus died for you. You know your sins are paid for, but you're still stressing about money. Be honest with yourself. You know all these things, but you're still stressing. How will I have? And if you have, and, and you've got a lot, you will even be afraid to give something away. Why will you be afraid? Whenever you give something, oh my goodness, you find this inner fear, and you don't understand. You drive... A Porsche, you've got 10 houses, you've got everything, but the moment you need to give something, you find you're in bondage. You can't even give anything away. You, you've, you've got that fear. Why? What is that all about? Here it says clearly that bondage is because of a fear of death. Now I want to submit to you, that the, resurrect, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the answer to all, to freedom and to all areas of bondage in your life. And that hope that you have, the Bible says, the hope of the resurrection saves us today from fears like that, wherein we can find the fruit of the Spirit actually be in us. Hebrews 5 verse... Um, Six, it says there, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, now talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, looking at the fear of Jesus here, he, he was, he, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to die. But listen to what he's saying. But he offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. Okay, now, <laughs> Jesus feared who? He feared God. The fear here is not the same fear as the fear of not having money. The fear here actually talks about a reverence. It talks about something else, which I will read to you from the Greek in a moment. But what I want to establish here is that Jesus, when he was in his flesh, he was afraid of death. He didn't want to die. It was not something, he didn't have a Socrates view of this. He was actually saying, I'm about to enter death. Every part of me. I'm... My spirit, or the, the life that God has granted me, I'm giving it to God. I'm actually saying to God, you can, you can flip the switch and switch off the machine. I'm going to die. You see, what we've done is we don't want to acknowledge that we can die. Because we cannot face death. We are so afraid to talk about death that we cannot say that a human can completely die. Every part of him completely die. We don't even want to go there. If we, if we, if we want to go to the message of you can completely die, we are so afraid that people are offended in saying that. Say, do you want to tell me Jesus could die? Yes, he could fully die. The Bible says his soul went to Hades, the place of the dead. That's not the place of the living. He, his soul went to a place of death. His spirit, the life that God granted him, went to the Father. And his body was in the grave. 
And there was Jesus in the grave, dead. And Jesus knew that he would enter that death. That's what he was, that's what he knew. And the only way he could conquer death was entering in that death and carefully grabbing a hold of the Father prior to his death in the hope that the Father would raise him from his death. And you know what Jesus did? He was heard in that he feared. Feared what? I believe that fear was not just talking about being afraid of the Father, but afraid of death, but also having reverence to God. That word fear comes from the root word. That word fear, we all know, reverence. That is what it means in respect to God. But it comes from this word, to take hold well, to carefully and surely take a hold of, to be cautious. So what was Jesus busy with when he was crying unto the Father, calling upon the Father, all the time talking to the Father? He was carefully grabbing hold of the promise of life so that he in that time would not stumble. It's like when you walk on the, uh, um, there's a place here uh, in Paul where there's a, like a big rock and then this chain. And then when you walk up onto this rock, you can easily fall off there. I mean, I'm amazed that people haven't fallen off there many times. But if you walk up there, you, you, you grab that chain. That fear there is this word. It, it's got more to do with how you grab the chain than being afraid of falling. That is what it means to fear God. Fear God means to carefully and surely take a hold of. Why? Because if I lose this, I'm dead. So Jesus knew that he was to enter death. And the only way that he could conquer this was by the Father raising him from the dead. So here we see that he cried out to him who could save him from death. So what is salvation? Salvation is to be saved from death. The point I'm trying to make, and now we're going to move on to the other stuff. The point I want to make is we have fear because we have not defined salvation as bodily resurrection, but we have defined salvation as going to heaven. And therefore, we are still bound in sin and death. We have not defined salvation as being saved from death. We've defined salvation as not living in hell. And you might want to hear this, or you might not want to hear this. I want to tell you that the scripture is clear that the fear of death keeps people in bondage. And this can be true even for you. If you, want to con if you don't want to, you're so afraid of death that you cannot acknowledge that you can completely die. No, no, I'm either going to, I don't even want to think of complete death. I, no, no, where am I going to live? Am I going to live here or there? And even that brings us, the fear of death, where we want to acknowledge that we can never die. I believe that's where Socrates' teaching comes from. He was so afraid of death that he actually fabricated a teaching inside himself, listening to the devil, which comes from the beginning. This lie, the devil told that to man, from the beginning of man's creation. He was saying to man, listen, you can never die. So man, in his fear of death, Rather believe the devil saying, I can never die, making himself a God and having no dependence upon God. And when he, I mean, all of that was from a fear, I believe. See, I don't want to die. I cannot acknowledge that I am a temporal being. I cannot acknowledge that. I want to tell you, God has made you from the dust of the earth to give unto eternal life. And as you grab a hold of this, you can be set free from that bondage. So, summary, and what I want to say in the first 30 minutes of this message is this. Bondage in your life financially comes from a fear of death. And when you see the bodily resurrection of Jesus and your flesh, your body, your brain has come to the conclusion that it will always have life and as sure as what God exists and cannot die, that's how sure my bodily life is. Once that settles in your heart, your body 
will be satisfied and go to rest. And you will not be in the bondage of the flesh trying to produce life by its own works, bringing forth the fruit of the flesh, which is all manner of sin and lust and all those things in your life, of which the love of money is one. Okay. You can go and look at all these where it talks about uh, in, in 1 Timothy 6. And when you go and look at um, the fruit of the flesh, it talks about love of money. It's mentioned together with sexual immorality, fornication, hater of God. That's what, it mean, what it's mentioned with. Isn't that bondage? We would say that somebody that is in sexual immorality, you know, molesting children, we would say he's in bondage. But we would never want to acknowledge that wanting money, loving money, is such a big bondage. Why? Because we, our minds still have the assurance that we will live by that. But I want to tell you, once you've understood the resurrection and your heart is focused on that and your life is born from the revelation of bodily salvation, you will find that those things, this is what I call it because I don't have a better word for it, magically disappears. And I believe that in the measure wherein we understand this, we will see increase of fruit, good fruit in our lives. You want to say, Matthew, what is the solution for my financial stress? Ask God to teach you on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To the point that you see the resurrection for what Jesus has shown it to be where there was no bones in his grave and the assurance that his body can live forever. Once you see that, you will find an absolute blessing in your life. Now, <clears throat> you will find freedom from that bondage. Now, last week we've said in 1 John chapter 4, let me go there. 1 John chapter 4. I've got it here on my notes. I'm going to read it quickly again. Talking about fear, <clears throat> it says in 1 John 4, 15, 16, 17, it says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God? What he's saying here is, when you can confess that the human being Jesus, remember Jesus was, excuse the word, but uh, uh, this might help your mind to understand this. Jew, Jesus was a dude that lived on the earth. A physical guy who had a physical mother who played with other kids. That man, that little boy that grew up, that was a carpenter, he is when you can acknowledge that he, that human, is the son of God, you are declaring that a human can be equal with God. And to be equal with God means you have to have immortality. What you are saying is, is that you can say it's bodily possible to be in equality with God. And this was simply John's way of saying what Paul said in Colossians, that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. Now what it says, when you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then God dwells in you and you dwell in God. You see, when you can understand what it means to declare Jesus as Son of God, what will happen to you bodily, you will start to experience what it is to be in God. Your physical brain will start to experience what it means to be in God. That is what it is, because God is now in you and you are in God. This is what John said in John chapter 1, that we who believe in Jesus, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, and in Him He is light and in Him is no darkness, and we are now having fellowship in that light. Meaning we are set free from the bondage that comes to our lives, sins and all the areas where we're not experiencing what He is Man, freedom from sin and the fruit of the flesh. 
We're experiencing freedom. Why? Because we can acknowledge that a human has now possessed immortality, which only God has. And when you say a human, you are including yourself immediately. Now let us go on to verse 16 and see what it says. It says there, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Okay, it is just said in the previous verse that when you acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, then you are dwelling in God and God in you. Now it goes on, it says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. What was the love that God has for us that we have now believed? We have believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. Mark 16. When we believe this love, what happens? Then we are dwelling in the love of God. And then God dwells in us and we dwell in God. What is the love of God? The love of God is that God presented humanity with the only begotten. Jesus was born or made from Mary, but he was begotten of the Father by the resurrection. That is what Acts clearly says. He was begotten of God by the resurrection. So when Jesus was begotten by the resurrection, God gave us, he says, I give you this. A man immortal in the Godhead. That's what I give you. That is my gift of righteousness to you. That's my gift of righteousness to you. I give you this. And now it says, we have known and believed. In other words, we have known Jesus when he was on the earth. And when he was raised from the dead, we believed this love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. This is all about the resurrection, church. God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. How do you dwell in love? By loving your neighbor? No, you dwell in love by believing in the resurrected Jesus. By believing in the resurrection. By confessing the man Jesus as the Son of God. That's what you do. Then goes verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. What is the day of judgment? That is the day wherein the judgment of God, which is, I've come to give you eternal life, you can now have it, and you will not have eternal death. And herein is love made perfect, that in that day we may have boldness. Why? Because we know we're going to live and not die. So what takes away fear of the day of judgment? The revelation of bodily immortality. That's why the church today, whenever there is an end time message or a prophecy, they fear. It's absolute fear. I remember when was it? 2012 there was a thing. And then there was another day. There's always some prophet coming up with something. And then the people that are, that's got the most fear is the church. Because into them was drooled in them. You're going to die. Your body is going to die and your spirit is going to go somewhere. And now that body is afraid of the death coming. Because it's afraid because it has not, does not have the teaching that has brought peace to the body of bodily immortality, that the body can never die. If it dies, Paul calls it a sleep. But it will be woken from the sleep and be restored fully, and it would be us. Even the teaching of you'll have another body will not produce peace. The true peace is that same body. You will be raised. The only difference would be that it will be glorified, no shortcoming whatsoever. Complete life of this. Amen. Now verse 18. We're going to verse 18. It says here that we will have boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. What is perfect love? The love that presents you immortal in the day of judgment in a physical body where your physical body lacks nothing, and even if your dust particles has gone wherever, it will be raised. Yesterday I was, was yesterday we had a, 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 like a barbecue here, and I've got a gas grill, but I just make, just for atmosphere, a nice wood fire on the side. 
We're making this fire and I put a paper in there or threw something in there and it burnt up to ashes. And I looked at that ash and came to my mind that Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the ashes <laughs> and restore his life and keep his promise. That's amazing. Now, how does that pertain to the fear of not having money? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love costs out fear. The context here is fear in the day of judgment, but I do believe that this fear here is, it talks about here because he that fear has torment, and that fear is not made perfect in love. How many of us have the fear of being tormented? By what if I lose my house? What if I lose this? What if I lose that? I tell you, that only has a voice in you because of, you know, most of us will not lose our house, but we fear. I remember my wife said to me, and you've heard this many times, we were married about 10 years, and then one month again, I was stressing about money. It was like, and then I'm grumpy, and I'm up and down, and everything's wrong because I'm stressing about money. And then she said to me, Listen, God has cared for you in your unbelief for 10 years. That means I feared for 10 years that I'm not going to have and I still had. <laughs> Most of us, we fear that we're not going to have, but we still have. God cares for you in the midst of your unbelief. The thing is, God's caring for you anyway, but your mindset is not that of eternal life. Therefore, you are in torment. This is what it says here. Because fear has torment. It's like hell. What will people be... When we teach of hell, we talk about the torment in hell. Hell is the place of the dead. Torment is in the place of the dead. If you don't have a revelation of bodily resurrection, but you're only fixed on the spirit thing, I want to tell you this. You'll be in torment, my friend. You're in the torment of the revelation of death. You'll be tormented. But he says here, perfect love, the revelation of the resurrection costs out all fear. Fear of death, fear of not having, fear of all that will be cast out. Glory to God. Now, let us go to uh, one more verse, and that will be in Matthew Man, there's so much I still want to say. Let's go to Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. It looks as if we're going to preach another Sunday on this matter. But let's go to Matthew 6, verse 19. Listen to this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Can you see what he's saying here? He's talking about corruption. He's talking about stealing. He's talking about death. Don't let your treasure be inside what's dying. But lay up for yourself a treasure, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying, and we have misunderstood this in such a great way. We have said, let your treasure be in going to heaven. And let the body that your spirit leaves your body. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When you go and read Peter, Peter says that we have been begotten unto a new and living hope which is kept for us in heaven. What is that new and living hope that's kept for us in heaven? It is the resurrected bodily fullness that's kept in the heavens. It's like a meal that's kept in the microwave. 
if the meal is kept in the microwave, it doesn't mean we have to go and live in the microwave to have the meal. It me means it's kept there and it shall be revealed and given to us and put on the plate for us. So what he's saying, what I believe Jesus has in mind here is that we should have our minds in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God in bodily immortality and let the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which is at the right hand of God, which is eternal life for us bodily, be our treasure. And let our treasure not be in how we can try and make this body live on this earth or in the earthly things. So the treasure is, I'm not treasuring what I can have in this world to make this body live, which one of it is money. I'm treasuring the bodily immortality and the eternal life or the Son of God, as I've explained it previously in this message or earlier in this message. I'm treasuring that because it does not corrupt. It talks about incorruptibility. The Bible says he will not suffer his Holy One, which is Jesus, to see corruption. That's what he's talking about. I'm not going to suffer you to see corruption. And here it says, Behold the place of incorruption. What incorruption? What is he talking about corruption? He's talking about your body is dying, your stuff is decaying, moth eat it, and you, it, it's, look at immortality. That's what he's pointing out here. Then it goes on, it says, Lay not for yourself treasures upon earth where moth do and rust and corrupt. In other words, don't look at the mortal. Look at the immortal, bodily immortality. Because what does the Bible say in Colossians? In him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And then it says, Behold Jesus, keep your eyes above in heaven where Christ is seated, Christ who is your life. That's what he's talking about. But lay up for yourself treasure, treasure in heaven where neither moth do rust or corrupt or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Listen to this now. Listen to this. This is so powerful. The light of the body. The light of the body is the eye. He was just saying, let your eye see your body, basically, enlightened at the right hand of God. It is another way of saying, declare Jesus as the Son of God, and so you dwell in Him and Him and you. We're teaching about finances now. Jesus is getting the money here. So the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, the word single there means to be braided. If, if you can see your body braided into God, you, as a full human, bred into God, then your whole body, your whole what? Your whole body would be full of light. Come on, church. My goodness. If you can see your body as immortal in heaven at the right hand of God, your body here will be free of Fear. Free of the bondage of fear. That is what that passage is saying. Says, but if your, if your eye is evil, full of what I must do to get myself to live, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the revelation or the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Next verse. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Can you see how a revelation of the resurrection sets you free from having your heart trusting money? Well, church, next week I'm going to continue with this. I don't want to stretch this so long and that we forget what, what actually needs to be said. I'll pick this up again next week. And I want you to think of this. This is a revelation from God, man. This application of the resurrection and having no fear in money is preached by Jesus. This is what he says. Go and read it for yourself. 
Let your treasure not be on the earth or in money, but let it be in the resurrected Jesus. How will that take place? By having your eye see your braid, how you've been braided into the Godhead. What he's saying is, see yourself as immortal in God, as a full human. And what will happen? You will not be enslaved to mammon anymore. It will be all over. Glory to God. And you will find no fear anymore. You will find... I, I mean, I don't even want to... We can have a session talking about giving as well. Um, but uh, I don't even want to mention... I don't want to talk, go there. But I want to just say this. You will have no fear. The first thing is you will j just have no fear. Don't even think of what am I going to give. Just think of... <sighs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I see myself braided into the Godhead. And now I'm not serving mammon anymore. Glory to God. Why? If you read on in Matthew there, it says, you've got a heavenly Father. And if you first seek the kingdom of God, which is the immortal Jesus at the right hand of God, he says all these things will anyway be added unto you. Glory to God. I would like to pray for people that are going through a difficult time financially. I want to pray for you as pertaining to this message and a revelation of this in your mind. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your message of grace. I want to thank you for the love that you have for us. I want to thank you, Lord, that I can stretch forth my hands in the Spirit to every person that is watching this. And I can say to you, your mind is enlightened now with the goodness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you are set free from the bondage of fearing, of not having, having a life flooded with a darkness of not understanding the resurrection and what Christ has done. I speak over you, an enlightened mind. Everyone that's watching, I speak over you, an enlightened mind. I declare over myself that my mind is open to understand and see the dimensions of the love of God and all of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I want to thank you so much watching was a blessing to serve you today remember you are loved by God he doesn't want you to lose your life therefore he has secured your life in the resurrected Jesus every part of you glory to God thank you so much for watching I'll see you again next week God bless